Nothing has been happening in the news this week worth <laughs> noting. Nothing at all. It's been a quiet week in America. Well, you know, there was the RNC thing. I, I suppose that's something. I'm, I'm working on your introduction. This is called playing against reality. <laughs> it's called the opposite. Anyway, so although it was a quiet week and none of you had well, anything the, to pay uh, attention the, uh, to. You know, all these terrorist attacks and the uh, Black Lives Matter. But other than those things. Other than those things, it was a very quiet week. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay, the joke's been spoiled, but it's, it's fine. Coming to the microphone now, our guiding light. From the gr- the host of the greatest podcast in existence now and perhaps of all time, Barack Lurie. <laughs> you make me sound so like, like some sort of dictator from a, a former Eastern Soviet bloc country. <laughs> the guiding light comes now to you, dear leader. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Any transmission now? Anyway, um, listen. I, I, I yeah. There, there are a lot of things going on, and one of the things that were watching now with the Republican National uh, uh, Convention and then, of course, the DNC coming up, is this sense that this is such a critical time in American history, isn't it, right? There's, there's only so much that we can withstand when it comes to liberalism attacking the very foundation of our civilization. And what do I mean by that? I mean the attack upon marriage, the attack upon the distinction between male and female, uh, the attack upon the uh, the notion of uh, a, an economy that can be private, the attack upon private business, the 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 notion of regulation that that all business is bad and all people are somehow all, all workers uh, need a break of every kind. It, it's uh, the very notion of freedom itself is in question. The very notion of of religion. And faith and free speech is being pushed to its limit. And I, I don't think that we can withstand that much, much longer. And if we have a Democratic president, a Democrat president in 2016, uh, elected rather, <clears throat> such as Hillary Clinton, I think that uh, with the Supreme Court nominations and the other momentum that she will no doubt uh, try to pursue, I, I think we'll have a real problems in the future. It's not going to be good. So what do we do? Uh, how do we look at this at the very least? I think we need to understand that the, the world is very fragile in terms of democracy. There, there are many things in, in place. It's an ecosystem that is extremely fragile. Things have to be in the right balance. I think that people take better care of their swimming pools for pH balance purposes, right? <laughs> then people look at our, our own government and say, well, let's get the right balance here, right? If you were to, to go to your pool and, and see the pH balance, not that I have a pool, by the way, I just want to make that clear, but I remember, you know, my dad in our old pool, he would, he would you know, check out the pH balance, he would put, a, it would, you know, bring up a little bit of the water and then test it out and see, you know, oh, it looks like it's too acidic, it looks like it's too base, and, and would, you know, drop the appropriate chemicals in it such that, Everything would be fine again, but when it comes to the government, no problem. We can we can overbalance with the judiciary. We can over uh, understate the the Congress and overstate the presidency itself, the executive branch. No big whoop. But understand that that can be devastating to the health of of the America, and to the very notion of our freedom. We are seeing corruption after corruption 
And the Benghazi thing really kind of started it all, at least from from the most recent days. And of course, you can point to things in the past. But I'm I'm looking at 2012, September 11, 2012, and you see what happened in Benghazi and the aftermath of it and the play uh, with the media that they that they engaged in. And then you see the emails, and then you see the um, the Clinton Foundation uh, pay for play scandal. And then, of course, the way Obama deals with Iran, the way with Obama deals with Black Lives Matter, and, and all the, the corruption that's involved there. And then the executive powers that he introduces, the way he minimizes Congress, the way that the judiciary tries to elevate itself. These are very concerning things. You, you have to understand that you, we, we must keep the pH balance, as it were. If you don't, things fall apart. It is fragile, my friends very fragile, and we dare not play with it. Now, what's so interesting is that the, on the, our friends on the left, they just think they can dump and dump and dump and, and just pour uh, all their new legislation and not think that it has any impact whatsoever on our ordinary day-to-day lives. For example, you, you impose a $15 an hour minimum wage upon employers. Well, no big whoop, you know. The only difference will be that employers have more money. Thank you very much. And ain't that a great thing? But of course, the reality is that everything will go into automation mode. The employers will fire a lot of people at the same time. And the economy will tank. And the unemployment rate will go up and all sorts of, and, and illegal immigration will also be, go up because there'll be more demand for illegal under the table employment, right? But people don't think this way. They, they don't understand the fragility of the economy. And when you start playing with these little things, you think it, it, it only has one consequence, but it has many other consequences. So they don't understand the fragility of the economy. They think it's robust, and, and it is robust in a different way. But when you're, when you're playing with the very infrastructure itself, that's what you have to wonder about. Okay? The economy, and the government for that matter, can, can withstand all sorts of great new innovations whether it's the iPhone or the internet or otherwise, that's wonderful. All sorts of great things can happen. But what we can't withstand is the, the, uh, the dilution of the very fabric itself, where law and order is, is suspect, where the very notion of law and order seems to be an, a quaint idea, where you have selective enforcement that favor some who are powerful and rich and... Uh, and really, they go hard on, on people that are not so powerful and not so rich. A good example of that is Hillary Clinton on the one hand and General Petraeus on the other. Very good example. So this is where the fragility comes in. Now, by contrast, here's the funny thing, is that the liberals will say <clears throat> that the world itself, the environment, is extremely fragile, right? I mean, you, you've heard this before, that we live in a world where... It's slightly, you know, it's, it's a perfect balance of life, right? And if, if one species should go extinct, well, then it throws off the entire ecosystem. And if, <clears throat> and if there's a slightly too much carbon in the air, well, then that throws off the entire system as well. Yeah, if there's one oil spill with one dead seagull. Right. It's yeah. a catastrophe everywhere. Right. Think globally, act locally. Right. One, one child hungry means everyone starves. That kind of thing. <laughs> That's right. They, they, they have to... Uh, it, 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 it's, it's their way of looking at the world. They don't understand that that is not fragile, that that can withstand all sorts of things. And, and never mind the fact that, in fact, we are getting cleaner and cleaner 
precisely because of capitalism, not dirtier and dirtier. They, they are fighting a fight that they might have fought maybe 50 years ago to say, hey, let's find a way to, to, uh, to be cleaner. There was a lot of pollution back in the 60s, especially here in Los Angeles. Yeah, they pretend everything is Pittsburgh in the 1890s. <laughs> right, exactly right. right. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 they do. But, you know, the, but they, they look, the, the obvious uh, the agenda here is we got to do something or we're all going to die, right? But what, what really is fragile is something completely different. It's our whole social structure, which is fragile. And here's another thing. It's not just the judiciary and the Congress and, and uh, the executive branch, which is, of course, a very fragile thing. And, and by the way, I, I have to give credit to Dennis Prager. Uh, Dennis Prager talked about this. He used that word fragility and that the liberals can push on the fragile nature of um, our, our government structure and, and think that nothing will happen. But I, I wanted to take it one step further and where, I, where they do claim where something's fragile, and that's in the environmental world. And here's another area where they, they fail to understand how fragile things are. It's, it's the police, right? Law enforcement, generally speaking. They don't get it that the very reason why we have law and order in the first place, why we have structure, is because people have a sense that the police will be there to protect them. That if there's a crime that happens, some, some guys in blue will come by and and stop you and perhaps even arrest you. But what happens when the, the ordinary citizen doesn't have that feeling anymore? What? He has the feeling that, uh, you know, he, first of all, he can get away with anything. So if he's already on the margin about committing a crime, well, now he, he will step into the area of crime. He'll rob that lady of her purse. He'll murder that ex-girlfriend. Uh, he'll... Uh, He'll, he'll rape that, uh, that young little uh, lady. Bad things can happen. <clears throat> and then he'll say, and nothing will happen to me. And then think about it from the perspective of the victim, um, who is not predisposed to committing crime in the first place. So first of all, he'll say, well, look, if, if nobody is treating, uh, let's say, stealing a loaf of bread, as it were, or a little piece of fruit from the grocery stand is a big deal, then why should I treat it as a big deal? So it almost gets them into the mindset of, well, crime is a relative thing. Crime is something that occurs if you get caught. And even for those who don't perceive that, even those who, who f truly believe in the rule of law, like you and I, it'll, still, it, it'll cripple our ability to feel comfortable walking around in society. That's not a good place to be. We want everyone to walk down the street confidently, knowing that they don't have to clutch their purses and their wallets, knowing that their cars will be safe and won't be keyed and won't be stolen for that matter, knowing a whole bunch of these things, knowing that uh, uh, and hoping that their online bank accounts won't be raided uh, unless somebody hacks it and such like that. The, the, this is where the fragility comes in. That's a fragile thing. But again, they... They, they seem to also think that, and here's another thing where, where the liberals think everything is so fragile where it's, where, when it's not fragile. Ready? Wait for it. Race relations. Okay, now what am I talking about when I say that? The liberals think that race, race relations are extremely fragile. You have to watch every single word you say. You have to uh, be on your toes constantly. When, when the truth is that we're way past that, right? I don't care 
if the person I'm dealing with on the phone or the bank or uh, opposing counsel or a judge for that matter is black or Hispanic or anything. I, I don't care. So what? But the, the liberal community wants us to look at race relations as though it's such a fragile thing. We have to constantly be on edge. We have to legislate every little step that we make. That's not a world we want to live in either. So it's a fragility that I'm speaking about right now. And once again, not surprisingly, the liberals fail to see what things are indeed fragile and conversely fail to re realize what is not fragile whatsoever, what is in fact tough. So th th these are my thoughts for the day. And, and then there's one that immediately comes to mind. Um, for anyone who's had a child and uh, been through the process of a pregnancy with mammograms, I mean, uh, sonograms and, yeah. uh, you know, all the, all the stuff you see going on, pregnancies and the women who have pregnancies are fragile. Yeah. They have to be protected. You can't just go drink margaritas for <clears throat> nine months. Right. But liberals love to act like that's not fragile at all. Right. Oh, just get an abortion. It won't hurt you. Right. Sure, it might get rid of the baby. Right. Uh, but the woman will just, she, she could be up and jogging yeah. uh, five hours later. That's right. No There's, problem. There are no consequences associated with abortion, um, emotionally or physically. Yes. Right? Yeah. From, from a fragility standpoint. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's a, that's a really good point. They, when they want to advance a position, they fail to understand the fragile nature of it, um, or, or they refuse to acknowledge it. That, let's, let's put it that way. Um, and when they, when they want to advance the other position, then they'll say extremely fragile. Yeah, whatever fragile ecosystem, fragile species balance, fragile bee population. <laughs> One beehive oh, like dies, yeah. and suddenly they're claiming that we're going to have a, a mass uh, uh, famine. That's right. Everything's going to fall apart one, one way or the right. other. Yeah. That's really interesting. I like that, the, the bee population notion. And it's true because we've heard about that too. Then you have like a, the DDT thing, right? And the ozone layer and everything else. So they talked about how fragile that was. Well, it turns out it just closed up by itself and it was like nothing we could do about it. It, it, was, tur it turns out it wasn't something we caused. It turns out it's a cyclical thing that's been around for, well, forever. Right. And, then, and then, of course, there's this one. I love this one. Species collapse in the oceans. Okay. Off the northeastern American coast, they did overfish the cod a bit. But, uh-oh, you know what turned into a bumper crop a few years later? Lobsters. Oh, I see. Right? Yeah. So... The earth keeps everything in balance. If you overfish one kind of fish, well, guess what? Another sort of delicious seafood is going to be plentiful and abundant very right. soon after, which, by the way, was much more expensive than cod and much more luxurious. Well, I think we should give it a name, don't you? I think we, we should call it food supply change. Yes. <laughs> instead of climate change. Right. right. Not instead of. In addition to climate change, it would be food supply change because it, it's, it's true to say that food supply changes all the time. I imagine back in the day of the dinosaur that, uh, you know, the different kinds of food were available. Not for men. I, I understand that. I, I get that. But I'm simply saying from a food supply point of view, uh, the, the, what was abundant back then is no longer abundant 
And now, when and the stegosaurus when the stegosaurus <laughs> ran out, they started eating the triceratops. You mean something yeah, like that? Right. Yeah. And and get this, get what this. Was, what was the tuna of the dinosaur right. age? But this right? is the funniest part of all. <laughs> yeah. These liberals, when it comes to dietary compulsion at the upper ends of of uh, the culinary experience, are always telling us to eat local, eat seasonal, eat what's good at the moment. Right. When peaches are in season, you eat peaches. When squash are in season, you eat squash. They don't say that. Uh oh, we ha- we're having squash change. Yeah, that's, that's a good. That's we're a having good. gourd change. Yeah. Well, let, let's not get a, a far afield from it. I, I but agree it's with the you. philosophical yeah, yeah, idea yeah. that you're hitting on. That's it so brilliant. I, I appreciate that. But I, I, you know, here's a, another point that I, I wanted to raise. Since we're talking about food supply, um, organic food, right? They talk about DDT and um, genetically modified food and pesticides in, in other respects. All, all these things are so important, you understand. And by the way, I say this as a vegan. I, I you know, I, I like healthy food and such like that. If something's organic, uh, you know, and, and I have a choice and it's not much more expensive, okay, I'll go for the organic. But I don't ever say, well, the whole earth is in, is in flux and in balance if we, if we choose uh, pesticide-laden food or, or genetically modified food. On the contrary, I think fantastic. You know, the more the merrier in that. And to, to say nothing of the fact that they found that there's really no consequence whatsoever about genetically modified food, despite all the fragility arguments that the left will bring up. They, they bring that up all the time, that if we ingest genetically modified food, uh, then, then bad things will happen to our own genetic makeup as well. This is, like, this is like fantasy land that they have. Again, never mind that there's no science to it whatsoever, but that won't, that won't prevent them from pushing forward on that. But things are so fragile. I'll tell you what's really fragile. If you didn't have the advancements in food that have occurred in the past 40 or so years, then indeed you would have the, the, the overpopulation problem that, that everyone was screaming about and terrified about back in the 70s. The population bomb, I think they called it, right? And, uh, but, but now that they found a way to, um, they found many ways, of course, to advance the food supply and to increase it. Well, then they have to complain about that too, right? So on the one hand... Not enough food, now too much food. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, and and, and oh, yeah. here's another fragility thing, is that the, the earth cannot sustain, right, yes. more than X billion of uh, people on the planet, right? So like, <laughs> I, I never understood that even as a child when I was uh, 11 years old or so. I, you know, I would fly like over the country like other people, and I see vast swaths of empty land uh, in, in America alone, to say nothing of all these other countries, it's just empty, my friends. Empty. Yeah, I, mean, I flew over West Texas and um, New Mexico from the air yesterday. Yeah. And I'm looking down going, well, there's a lot of play- <laughs> space there. Right. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, and real estate's very reasonable. <laughs> okay, and there's a reason I why. I think they're paying you to take it. <clears throat> so, it it's and, very reasonable. And th- it's so funny <clears throat> you mention that because um, there's also fragility of the human mind. And what do I mean by that? Mm. Education. The left has no problem replacing math and reading and, and history with, you know, uh, grievance studies based Ooh, on ethnic good. group yeah. and yeah. sex education and transgenderism and all sorts oh, of. And anti Americanism. Yeah, and anti American. All sorts of bizarre propaganda which results in dumber people right. as if there'll be no consequence in no 10 con- years. Oh, yeah. Which no. is what we're reaping now when you see what voters <clears throat> think. Right. The education system is not fragile. You can you can mess with that as much as you like and you'll still have you very want. healthy, very balanced kids. Yeah, because people just absorb information just walking around. <laughs> That's right. In the meantime, they have no idea 
about American history. They have no idea about what the values are of this country. They have no idea, therefore, how to vote or anything about the economy. They don't even know about home economics, for let alone the economics, generally speaking. And so that they wonder why why things seem to be falling apart in, in so many different ways. Why why our young people don't have a sense of uh, civic duty. Why the millennials are so irresponsible and say, stay in their mother's and father's houses. Uh, why, why the divorce rate is so high. I mean, they just don't get it. And that, my friends, is fragile. What you teach your children is extremely important. And if you it, and to prove that point, uh, you simply need to look at your own family. If you're a parent, uh, you know and you believe deeply, don't you, that what you teach your children is important. If you're, if you're a Christian, your, your values are Christian-based and you want them to learn about the divinity of Jesus and that he died for, your sin, for all of our sins and what a great man he was and the Sermon on the Mount and turn, on the, uh, turn the other cheek. These are wonderful things to teach a child. And if you're Jewish and an American for that matter, I, I know what I want to teach and I think it's essential. How great America is, how great Israel is, how great the Judeo uh, a Christian mindset and value set is, how, how wonderful and, and how critical the Bible is to our lives, how um, the, the, the way we live our lives today is an exception to human history, not at all the, 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 the rule whatsoever. You have to understand this. And if you don't, well then, guess what? You're going to go right back to the Sodom and Gomorrah that we're all actually trying to escape from. This is, this is fragility. When you don't understand what is fragile and what is not fragile, bad things happen. Chaos ensues. So it's always about perspective, isn't it? Yeah, and, and a perfect example of this was April 29th, 1992. I was 21 years old, mm -hmm. and um, I had always thought that all that you see around you, the law, the order, this, the structure of civilization was rock solid there i i always thought well there'll never be a world war in my lifetime there'll never be a holocaust in my time right. mm -hmm. all that that crazy stuff my grandparents went through that was an aberration but my generation going forward it'll never happen again because we're told it must never happen again blah 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 blah, blah right right then one day april 29th 1992 the la riots happened yeah. And I saw that thin blue line and that thin gray line of this, what I call the illusion of civilization break down over a course of like three and a half hours. Right. Suddenly, no one was allowed on the street. We essentially had a version of um, uh, martial mil law or something. Yeah, martial like, law. Not, yeah, where, where if you went on the street and I drove to my girlfriend's house, I got pulled over and was there for 15 minutes with the cops interrogating me. And I'm like, I'm not a criminal. No, you have to go home. What if I need groceries? Too bad. Right. And I was like... Wait a minute. I'm a 21-year-old guy. I have a box of cereal and nothing else in my house. Right. A couple bottles of water. And though I'm not a criminal, I'm not allowed on the street at all, on foot, in car, right, right. anything, because there are some people rioting 20 miles away. And then they were coming closer and closer. I lived at the time in an area called Beverlywood, south of Beverly Hills, which, by the way, six, eight, ten blocks away, there was riots and fires. Right. Point is... I learned right quick at age 21, all the, the order of society is a fragile illusion yeah. that can go any second. That's so true. That's really true. It, it's, uh, we, this is all a pretense. Everything that you see around us is because there is an understanding, right? Yes. Uh, you know, a, a com communal understanding that not only do we have the same value set, 
which hopefully is based upon the Judeo-Christian value set, and that's to, to some extent is still a very powerful force in our lives, but also the notion that there's the police that's going to enforce the most basic of laws, okay? And the that's human important. decency of our fellow citizens yeah. to all agree on this social compact. Right, and if you don't believe me, then just think about yourself on the freeway when it comes to a speed limit. If you know that this area of the, the, the freeway is not at all enforced, you're going to... You're going to go uh, whatever speed you, you darn well please. Okay? If you know it's aggressively enforced, well, you're going to watch yourself, aren't you? It's the same thing. Look, I, 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 I like to say sometimes that you can look at things differently, right? That's one of the things I think we, that we succeed in doing, Ari, you and I, in uh, the, the, the Brucklery podcast and your own podcast, The Ari David Show. Thank you for the plug. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm looking right now at, at, a, at a big building, Okay, and you can look at that building as either a, a, a bunch of concrete and uh, window panes and such like that, and electrical wires and such. That you can look at it that way, right? It is, after all, a combination of those things. But you can look at it also. You remember how you, you used to look at, um, at the human body uh, when you were in elementary in school? Layers in different layers, different right? Systems. Yeah. yeah. There's a circulatory system. There's the nervous system. There's the and so you would have different layers, right? And you can look at it independently like that. You can also look at that same building that I'm looking at right now, and you can see it as a series of legal contracts, right? When you think about it, right, there's, there's a contract that, that involved the windows. There was a contract that involved uh, the, the, um, the concrete, a contract that involved the, the labor union issues and yeah, such like that. a contract that involved the property acquisition in the first place, the title, right, title. the insurance. Right. Uh, Tons of yeah. things. You, you can look at that as the sum of many contracts, yes. okay? And uh, you can also look at it in different other different layers, right? Um, in terms of its uh, its potential for growth in the economy, like what it might give the economy. You can boop, you know, here, this building is is now worth a certain amount from a real estate point of view, but also worth a certain amount from a income generation point of view to the city, and therefore the tax. Uh, to the city. You can look at so many different ways. Right. Who works there? What companies grew there? What right. employees right. prospered there? All that stuff. Right. And likewise, you can look at, now I'm going back to the economy and the way we live our lives. You can see it in many different ways, can't you? You can see it from the perspective of, uh, you know, I'm going to live in fear. Uh, this is a security operation, everything else. You can look at it from an economic point of view. Um, you, you can look at it from a fun point of view. You can look at it from a business point of view. All these different things. And I, and I think that our liberal friends fail to understand that you need to look at it, all those four things, at the very least what I just said. And, uh, and also from a, a cleanliness point of view, right? And from a safety point of view, security point of view. All those things that are so important. You, you, if you don't look at those and, and realize that they all have to be together, including the legal point of view, right? then your, your system collapses. You must have a system that integrates all these things. That, my friends, is fragile. Okay? And if you, if you don't do that, it's, it's, like, it's like going back to the human body with all the layers, right? If you ingest a poison, guess what? All those layers matter not, <laughs> right? If it's the, any <laughs> one of those layers fail, all of them fail. Right, right. Good example. And, and one small little thing can kill them all. And that's what, and, and if we have this Blue Lives Matter, I think that's the probably the scariest thing I've noticed. You mean Black Lives Matter. 
Uh, yes, you said well, blue. Yeah, which is well, I, I do mean I, I do mean that blue lives matter, but but yeah, I'm, you I'm, mean the movement. Black I'm taking lives. off from the Black Lives Matter issue. Um, in my life, I I'd, I'd never been so concerned from a structure point of view as I have after what happened in Dallas. Because and the LA riots were very concerning. Don't get me wrong, but that was uh, three hours, uh, four hours of mayhem that were very concerning, but. The notion that the police were still the police was very paramount. That there was no issue there. Now, what they're doing is, uh, with with the blessing of the Obama administration's White House, they're actually saying, you know, these police guys, they're bad guys, and you can look at them as bad guys. You can look at them as the enemy, and you can do something about it. Yeah, and. And, and, and I think you pointed up the, the example of that mayor from Baltimore. She said, we, we let them, we gave them room to destroy. Yes. Okay. Now, that very sentence, the very premise of it suggested that under certain some circumstances, you know, you need to vent. And that's cool. All right? So law and order be damned. You, you, if you got to vent, you got to vent. You know, it's, it's a temper tantrum and you got to let these things happen. That's, that's a problem of their making. Okay? Not ours. I, I, that's what I fear. We, we've changed the dynamic so that our very outlook on law and order, on the police itself, as the enemy, that's the beginning of a highly destructive end. All right. When we get back, we'll talk more about this. I also want to talk about some other very key issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case where your client invested $100,000 with her accountant who put her into various fake real estate investments. Yes, the challenge here was that neither the attorney nor the client were really focusing on this case. So what would you do? At the deposition, I had a big stack of documents that I told her I was going to ask her to testify about. I made sure she saw those documents and let her know her serious exposure. We settled for the full amount of the payments my client had paid her. We didn't even start the deposition. Litigation is a lot about understanding the psychology of your opposing party and sometimes the opposing counsel. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. and what doesn't matter, right? There are things that, that we can withstand and things that we cannot withstand. Uh, you brought up a, a great example, Ari, of abortion. Um, and it's such a, it's, I, I like the example that you, you bring up because there's only so much we can withstand, right? You, but they, they make 
the women in the country feel like, okay, well, gosh, it's no big whoop if you have an abortion. No big deal. Or seven, or eight, yeah, yeah, or 20. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it, it won't have lasting emotional or physical scarring in, in, your, in your health, in your psyche, for that matter, in your marriage or otherwise. It will. And, and that's, it's just not a healthy approach. Also, of course, it has an impact on the adoption world, right? The community that seeks adoption. That, that's obvious. If you kill babies, well, then they won't be available for adoption. Right? And then so, the cost of adoption goes up. Right. Way up. <laughs> so, so talk about a fragile ecosystem. That's fragile. Okay. And then, then, of course, there's also the fragility of sexual relations, um, and, and maybe that's where I'll conclude in terms of the fragility things. This is during the break we were oh, talking no, about no, different things. Oh no, this is getting good. Please <laughs> no, delve in. Yeah, I think Inquiring minds is, uh, is of, of interest to Ari David. <laughs> well, uh, you know, just because I'm a marketer and I know this sells. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, look, no, the, the the fact is that sexuality, as much as we all love and it's a you know sex and it's it's a, it's an urge it's an instinct and some people may say that it's it's the most powerful instinct we all have maybe more so than hunger and and let's say that that that's the case and i think there's some some merit to that um it still is extremely powerful the sexual urge and it's and, and sexuality itself and all the more reason why we need to respect its power just like we have to respect fire right uh, our civilization can't exist without fire but if we just let it loose randomly, well, what kind of civilization would you have if you never contained it? Uh, you, you just have to what cook in a in a in a pit in your kitchen all the time, and then and even even the campfire, you have some sort of some degree of control of your fire, right? You don't just burn burn a forest and say, okay, well, now let's let's roast our marshmallows, right? You 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 control it, and the same thing is true. <laughs> you like that one. <laughs> I'm picturing a 3,000-degree <laughs> like, wall of fire, and you're holding a marshmallow. Oh, it's overdone. That's right. Now I'm dead. <laughs> that's right. The, for, the forest ranger comes by and says, what are you doing? I, I had to cook somehow. <laughs> but did, did you see that campfire pit that we provided for you? Oh, yeah. I guess no, that would have been a good idea. I just light it in the dry brush. That's right. But sexuality is also something that is extremely important to, to contain, in a sense. And, and we're seeing it proliferate in a... Very unhealthy, and I think in a very dangerous way. Um, what do I mean by that? I mean, when you tell women, for example, that uh, they should have and they should go out and act like the men in terms of their sexuality and have as many guys as they want, um, that's, that's dangerous for them emotionally. It's not what they're built for. Uh, and it's dangerous for society at large. We, we want women to be excited to have a relationship with a capital R. And yes, men should be more relationship-oriented, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, there is a, a job of men. The job of men is to, to seek out and to populate as much as possible. We are instinctively drawn that way. But to, to want women to act like men uh, in the sexuality department, not a good idea. Okay, And uh, I w I'd rather that men act more like women in terms of the, um, uh, the desire to have a monogamous relationship than vice versa, okay? So pick your poison. Now, we, we want men to be assertive. I think every woman wants that in a man. She wants him to have some experience, right? I mean, if a, if a woman, let's say a 30-year-old woman, meets a 35-year-old guy, and he says, you know what, I've never had sex before. I'm a virgin at 35 years old. I think the woman would feel a little bit uncomfortable with him. She wants him to have some experience. She wants to know that, you know, he's played the field a little bit. That's good for her. She likes that. 
Conversely, if a man who's the 35 and he meets a woman who's 30, he'd, he'd say, okay, look, you know, she's been saving herself and this is the time and this is important to her. He won't think less of her, right? Um, but I don't want to get too distracted here. The, the point is that sexuality is very fragile. And the more we play with sex, the notion of sex and, and, and what we teach in school with you know, homosexual sex, anal sex, um, all sorts of kind of different kinds of sex and sexuality and, and transsexual identity and all those things that we're talking about, and, and then think that it has no impact on society. You're, you're playing a fool's game because it has a tremendous amount of, of impact. And we know that. And, and, and we look back on uh, thousands of years of civilization, and one of the things that everyone harkens back to is this, this, I think, very good distinction between men and women on the one hand and an understanding of the role of sex on the other hand. These are very important uh, notions of, of, of the fragile nature of sexuality. But the liberal community will say, no big whoop, have sex on the street if you can. No big whoop. Um, and and they're talking now about having sexual uh, sexual relations between uh, uh, a man and a, a very young person, um, and that that's maybe not such a big deal as we once thought, and such like that. When when where you and I would call that pedophilia, right? And it should be treated as a massive crime, and it is a massive crime. Anyway, that that's um, that that's another thing. Just like the blue line that we were talking about, the thin blue line. I think we're, we're engaging in, uh, or we're about to enter into a dangerous evisceration of the sexual line. And that's why I was so concerned and I spoke at great length about what I've been calling the yoga pants culture. And as much as you and I like seeing a, 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 you know, a scantily clad lady, especially one who's pretty and has a nice figure, it's just not healthy for society at large. Okay, we, we, we know that. We, we both have daughters. We would not want them to dress like that, and for good reason. All right, um, I, I want to move on to another topic, and, and a topic that um, Ari and I kind of both came up uh, with uh, a while ago, and it's about God and the belief in God. That's right. On this podcast, we go from <laughs> sex to God. Oh, I... That's why it's so good. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, but, when but, you have good sex, what do you say? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you see? It's all connected here, folks, in the Brucklery Show. <laughs> we'll, we'll bring it together one way or the other. <laughs> they say conservatives aren't fun. That's right. Oh, we, yeah, we, we are. Oh, we, we, look, we, we love sex. I mean, sex is an essential part of life, of course. Look, I mean, yeah. se sexuality is so important that there is reference to it repeatedly in the Bible, right? Yeah. Uh, the admonition of uh, against rape, of course, and how horrific that is, and then of course the blessing of of producing more children. I mean, you know, be fruitful and multiply, and that even in uh, in, in Jewish tradition, that if you uh, have sex with your wife, of course, uh, on Shabbat. The Saturdays, that's a blessing. That's that's a wonderful mitzvah is what we call it. It's the only rest you're supposed to not do. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That is a wonderful thing to engage in. Or that's the only work you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, but the point is that sexuality is very important. And, and it, it is a mitzvah at times and has to be treated with the respect that it deserves. Okay, sex is powerful. Yeah, don't get distracted by sex. You're going to talk about God now. So okay, yeah, no, and, and, and yeah. okay, thank you very much for bringing me back. Okay, you see, <laughs> I know that you see, if we go down this path, it'll be fortified. You see, even we, sex. even we podcast and radio show hosts, uh, you know, we get uh, distracted 
when we talk about sex. That's what the producer does. He reminds the host that uh, that's the subject over. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. All right. So, okay, back to God, the belief in God. As you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated with not just God and God's existence and how he manifests himself throughout our civilization and the, the great joys I, I experience when I, I feel like God, God has manifested himself one way or the other, whether through childbirth, right? or the beauty of a sunset, um, whether the, the strange blessings of a stranger who helps at just the right moment. Uh, the, these are wonderful things, but I'm actually fascinated in the belief in God itself and what I call the knowledge of God itself. What do I mean by that? I mean that having gone through the excursion myself, the discovery of God, I, I understand how powerful that discovery is. And I remember at one point realizing that there is a God and that in all likelihood, this God is the God of the Bible for all sorts of reasons. We're not going to get into that. That's another topic that we have discussed in the past and, we, and I'm happy to discuss in the future again. But I have come to believe with a great certainty that there is a God and that it is the same God of the Bible. Okay, And I believe in the miracles of the Bible I believe in the, in the teachings of the Bible, and I'm grateful for what the Bible teaches. So what do I want to get to today? I want to talk about if you feel and you, you've reached the same conclusion where you know that there is a God, right? By, for, for, for whatever, by whatever means you got there. I got there through math and science and probabilities and such. And I came to the conclusion that, of course, there's a God. Duh, right? It has to be that way. I believe, as I told you, I know that there's a God more than I know that Ari is sitting right in front of me. How about that? That's powerful. Now, now that here's the question. Now you, that you know there's a God, you've come to that realization, that the epiphany, like, oh my gosh, there is a God. Before you might have believed, you, you may have been agnostic, you may have wondered, and then you grew up and you did a little bit more math in your head and you said, you know, I, I know that there is a God. Here's the question. Now what? What do you do with that? Right? Do, you, do you just know it and, be, and you're done with it? Well, how can that be? I mean, you can't just be passive at that point, right? What, if you know that there's a God, then you also must know that there's a relationship with God that God expects you to have, that you now have a duty. And you have to ask yourself, what does God want of me? And all of a sudden, all these things start flowing. And you and I made the analogy the other day, Ari, where we said, well, it's a little bit like you realize you have a child. <laughs> you don't say, oh, my gosh, I have a child. Well, that's nice. <laughs> and you just leave it. I'm out of here. <laughs> on the, in, the, in the crib or in the park or whatever. You right. don't do that. You Job say, done. <laughs> that's right. You say, no, I, I have responsibilities, Right. You have a relationship with that child. You have a duty to take care of the child. You have to, to feed him, to love him, uh, to, to, to help raise him to be a good human being and such like that. I'm not equating God being a child. On the contrary, God is, if anything, our father, right? But the relationship is what I'm talking about. You're you, saying the relationship must be nurtured and sought out to, to occur in the most positive of contexts that yeah. you can afford to do. Yeah. God is not just there. That's the point. It, if you figure out that there is a God, 
then you also must figure out that God expects something of you, that God put you here for a purpose. So you have to find your way to that purpose. And the pur you have to ask God, what can I do to, to best meet your desires of me and to meet my purpose? Yeah, and in most people's cases, this might sound a little flippant, but I mean this sincerely, the relationship that God has with you and the purpose he put you here, in most cases, is not to sit around in your parents' basement smoking weed and playing video games. In very rare cases, is that true? Right, right. Okay? That's it, it, yeah. Only in very exceptional human beings. Right. Most of us, that's not our destiny. <laughs> Let's take some uh, uh, tweets from our, our callers, uh, okay. from our tweeters. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, good stuff, Ari and Brock. Fragility, critical... In, uh, and I'm doing this just so you know, David, who posted this. I'm reading it at an angle as to not... Oh, actually, because I, I don't want to wreck the um, angle of, uh, of... Oh, this is a long uh, thing. Good stuff, Aaron Brock. Fragility, critical in systems theory and chaos theory. Order and harmony are not easily achieved and are easily destroyed. In my uh, CEO and executive coaching and consulting, I refer to this in a strategy framework series. Okay, I think he's... Uh, yeah, well, that's that. I appreciate that, and yeah. and actually, what David just said to to us uh, or tweeted to us makes me think about guess. Wait for it. Wait for it. The fragility of the of the universe itself, right? I mean, we 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 are now learning that talk, talk about fragility. We are now learning that if if it was one part per quintillion off, the universe would not exist. Okay. And just to give you an idea of what one part in a quintillion means, it's the equivalent of one grain of sand compared to all the grains of sand, not just in all the beaches of Los Angeles, not just in all the beaches of America, not just the beaches of all of North America and South uh, America, but the entire world itself, all of them. If it was off by one grain, there would be no universe as we know it. That's fragile, my friends. <laughs> All right? Oh, so and, and it's, it's an appreciation of what is fragile and what is not. Yeah, and uh, Rochelle Solis, this is a less um, important question in many ways, but might be more. She says, uh, I love and agree with what you're saying. However, one question, do you have your pants on or are they hanging on the back of the door so they don't um, get wrinkled? <laughs> so you might want to just stand up just to prove. All right. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Rochelle. We're cool. Oh, Everything's well. <laughs> All is well in Brock's office here. Yes. He's, he's an attorney, and sometimes attorneys need their suits on short notice. Right, so. on short notice. If I have to go to court, I, I will do it. That's very funny. <laughs> well, like but that. thank you for your note, and we will be more careful and your concern. backgrounds from now on. <laughs> now we can spring for that impressive step and repeat, you know, that says the Brock Lurie show back here. and <laughs> Talk about a fragile podcast. <laughs> right. All right, so back to God. Uh, what do we do? And I, we welcome your tweets on this subject as well. What do we do? It, it means only one thing. You have an obligation to, to, to reach out to God and to ask questions to God and, and of yourself at the end of the day. You also have to, to have intellectual, curi um, sorry, to demand uh, things of yourself, to understand the obvious as well. Not just to reach out to God and say, what, what would you like of me? How can I 
provide you with excellent service today, God. <laughs> yeah, right? It's I'm not from corporate, and I'm here to help. <laughs> that's right. It's not like that, right? You know, you you have to understand yourself, and you understand some basic things. Well, I know for sure God wants me to to be good to other people, right? To the people I interact with. Um, that that's not just my family, of course. Uh, it's not just my extended family. It's not just my business colleagues and and the judges I work with. It's the everyday person on the street. Okay, you treat them with respect. And that, that part should be easy. And then you, you go to the next layer and you say, well, what, what more does God want of me? And then you, you say, look, I've got some talents. I've got some skills. What are those skills and how can I best manifest them? Okay, if, so let, let's say if you're, if you're an artist, okay, well then maybe uh, approach art with, with God in mind to bring out the best in people, to elevate people to the notion of the great greatness of the human nature, because only people can can create art, right? Not not dogs, not animals of any kind. So you, if you're given that gift, then why might you have that gift? Okay, perhaps it's to elevate and to expose the world to God and to, to understand the structure of it. If you're a movie director, for example, as my brother is, uh, and a very good one at that, perhaps. Your mission is to tell a story to elevate human nature. Maybe not to talk about God specifically, but to elevate human nature itself. There are so many things. If, if I'm a lawyer, as I am, then maybe my, my duty is to seek justice. You'll know my, my tagline, if you ever check it out, is justice you shall seek. I feel that that is my main mission in life. If a, if a client comes to me and tries to get a great deal that I think is improper, I'll say, listen, I... I I just can't take your case. I'm not going to pursue injustice just because you're paying me for the money. Uh, and I'll refer them to somebody else if they really want to. But even then, I, I, I'll say, look, you just go to somewhere else. Um, so justice is what uh, w- is my main mission. If I'm a writer, um, you know, I write novels. We'll write novels, you know, with, with, with the great storytelling about uplifting the human spirit one way or the other. Everyone has their mission. And perhaps that's just to be a great parent to teach values in the best way you can. I, I, I love being a parent. I, I consider that my most important mission altogether, right? I think that's the same of you, Ari. And, you know, people who have this sense of that work is everything, I, we, we, we know so many people like this, right? And they do it at the expense of their families and, uh, and everything else um, and their communities and such. And are they all about work? Well, you know, I think they're missing something. I think their mission... They're, I would, I would dare say that they don't truly believe in God when they feel that way. They make a lot of money. They, they follow the rule of law. That's great. That's important. That's better than being a criminal, of course. But they're missing something, and they can't seriously believe in God if that's the case. I, you can tell a lot about a person by, by how they identify themselves. What's their most important uh, identity? Now, if they say, of course, my first identity is that I'm a believer in God, well, then <laughs> there you go. You, they believe in God. But if they say that I am nothing if I'm not a good parent first. Then I'd venture to guess that they have a good set of values and probably it's informed by their belief and their knowledge in God. So I I love this discussion because I I hear many people out there who talk about how they they, they embrace God or they want to find God, they they think that there's a God, they don't. But then there are some people who come to the conclusion, yeah, there is a God. And when people do that, I say, that is wonderful. Now what? Now what? 
Yeah, and, and, and it's it, a question I ask to myself as well. Go yeah, ahead, and, and it can it doesn't have to be, um, you know, like going to a, a college course on on astrophysics. It could be as simple as just show a little curiosity, man. Yeah, that's right. Just ask yourself, okay, what next? Baby steps. God is all powerful and all forgiving. He doesn't expect you to be all powerful. Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. Remember, He's the master professor. You're the you're the kindergarten student by by comparison. And if you just ask, uh, what do you want? Just show a little curiosity. That's right. Read one page of the Bible. Ask yourself, what can I do today, right now, in this moment? Or, uh, one, or or to study God in one way or the other. Yeah. I, you know, I recently went to a, uh, a funeral service. Uh, it was a Jewish funeral, and and then a, a shiva, which is you know follow up. It's kind of the the, the closest analogy to that is uh, is a wake, where you go to the family who is mourning, and you try to um, you know express your condolences. You give anyway. There were, there was a lot of praying involved, and Jewish prayers, and, and a lot of people knew these prayers, and and I wasn't raised that way. I, I didn't know it too well, and I felt like. What is my mission? Is my mission, what, what am I to do next, so to speak, right? Uh, one of the things I could do, of course, is to memorize all these prayers. And, and I could do that. I, I, I'm sure that it would, it, it would awaken something in me. But that's not how I roll, I discovered. I, I discovered what I, I do roll with is the appreciation for science and how science actually proves God. I want that in my life. That, that is something that I... I just am constantly striving for. So you'll hear a lot of us, uh, a lot of us, um, I saw a lot of our talk on the Brock Lurie podcast talking about how this science proves God's existence, how this fact proves God's existence, how wonderful it is that God um, expresses himself, reveals himself in so many different ways. I think that my mission in many ways, because it's what my instinct is, is to showcase um, a different way of looking and opening up God, ex- God's existence. I'm, I'm finishing up my book on, on the dangers of atheism, as I mentioned, and that was it's, it's, it's expressly designed to show a different way of approaching God, a different way of, of appreciating God. Because it's one thing to prove that God is there, and I think you can do that, and it's, but I also want to go from the other angle to show what a world without God even if you don't believe in God, what a world without God looks like. And it ain't pretty. Uh, we are, we're getting some more uh, very interesting texts. Uh, let's scroll down a little bit. I'm sure that we'll be talking a little bit about the God element. Oh, uh, what's uh, Tomer Israeli asks, what's your uh, uh, brother's name? Isn't it Rod? And yes, the answer is it is Rod. It is Rod. Yeah. Very good guy. Yeah. So. One of the best directors out there. Yeah. So, uh, okay, and uh, any other comments? That's yeah, it there's, for now. Okay, all right, yeah. so that's good. All right, we've got a lot of viewers. That's very important. Thank you, Tomer, for your, uh, your, your tweet. Look, um, God is the ultimate, um, when, you, when you think about all the things that God provides, you realize when you believe and know that there's a God, that God has provided everything around you, that then, therefore, that's, there's also a purpose for everything around you. And that your existence itself has a purpose. You're not just there as a, like, a, like a rock is, a, is there on the ground, which you know, may or may not matter in the universal scheme of things, right? No, you are there for a reason. God placed you there for a reason. You are one of God's creatures. If you understand that, then you must act like one of God's creatures. Here's the most wonderful thing about discovering all this, is that when you do discover it, then you start doing great things. 
you start having purpose. If you are a depressed person, poof, depression goes away. If you are uh, somebody who, you know, is lazy, poof, your laziness goes away. If you're somebody that thinks uh, that he can get away with uh, small little indiscretions, poof, that starts going away too. And uh, and if you if you're somebody who is not who has not been very charitable in life and such like that, poof, that changes. You find yourself knowing and and feeling that there's an obligation to give either with your time or with your money. Poof, just like that. Things start changing when you know that there's a God. In the same way, the things start changing in your own life when you realize, oh, that kid is mine. I got I, I got to assume some responsibility here because nobody else will. That's, that's the thing. All right. Uh, let's see. We're getting more from... Boy, I wish I could read a little bit more careful. Brian. Is it Brian Hoffman? Yeah. Um, he's just uh, agreeing with us oh. that uh, God is the ultimate. God is the ultimate. Uh, there is only one way. And um, I, I don't know of any other way to look at, at life. Now, here, here is the, one of the joys about actually asking this question to yourself, the what next question, what do I do next, right? It, it gives great joy, doesn't it? I mean, you, you suddenly see the whole world in a different paradigm shift that, that now everything you look around, the trees to the air to the weather to the, to the perfection of life itself, you, you, you have a mission. Isn't that wonderful? Now, you may have a tough time figuring out what that mission is, but you know that it must be Something for the greater glory of God. Yeah. You, you know it. You know what I, it just occurred to me? And this, I think this kind of connects something that we've struggled with as conservatives, which is this. Based on what we talked about with the fragility issues in uh, segment one and what right. we're talking about now with segment two, yeah. about the, the relationship we have with God and the obligations therein, it really is a wonderful counterpoint to the left's constant attempts to communalize us. In other words, the left tries to communalize us through obligations of atheistic pursuit. So they communalize our money. They communalize our time. They communalize our obligations to the uh, inconsequential parts of life, things that really don't matter. Communalize us to our tribalism and mm -hmm. our, our perversions. When the truth right. is we are already communalized as a, a community of God's children who are obligated to our communal responsibilities to ensure that we're all free and that we all have a civil society in, in this Western civilization structure. And we're communalized by our values and behaviors to each other to set each other free and respect each other's lives. Right, right. And there is no need as long as you do that to further communalize our blood and treasure. Yeah. No, it, 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 everything flows from that is what yeah. you're saying. And, and, in I, fact, and I agree. To, to finish the thought, and I think that the biggest indictment of the left, and to further communalize us in our blood and treasure and in the, the um, uh, work and the fruits of our labors, for those to be communalized against our will by the structures of government is to, in fact, enslave us in contradiction to what God wants us to do. Yeah, I, that, that's for sure. Um, I'll use your word communalized because at the end of the day, there's also, there's, even in what appears to be chaos, there's a form of structure. There's a form of organization, right? It may not be a good organization, uh, taking Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that the ultimate uh, notion of chaos when you think about it, 
there was a structure. It was a horrific structure. Even ISIS in Syria and Iraq today, uh, there's a structure there. It's evil, right, where there's warlords, and if you happen to stumble upon them, certain bad things will happen to you that, that you can rest assured will happen to you. There's structure in that, yeah. right? Auschwitz, Cambodian death camps, and you the North it. Korean gulags, all very structured. Very structured, <laughs> right? right? So, so structure will find its way. Don't you worry, folks. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and even, you know, in the jungle, there is structure in the jungle. You know, the, the, the lion is the, the head and kind of everyone understands that. It's terrifying for anybody who's below the food chain of the lion. But nevertheless, that's, that's the understanding that, that there is out there. But do you want to live with that? I mean, Lord of the Flies is a good example of that, right? Here's where it went from uh, a, a Judeo-Christian value set that set it into a jungle uh, value set. But there was structure. There was a new structure. You didn't like it. And, and you have to ask yourself, as somebody who now believes and now knows that there's a God, do you want, what, what kind of structure do you want? And you'll, you, you will love the structure uh, that God provides. And, and then you come to the, realize that, to the realization that only God can provide a structure with freedom in it. There is no such thing as freedom without God. Okay? Uh, we, we can have a whole podcast on that. In fact, we could we'll probably have three podcasts on that. And I but, think we've had several on right. <laughs> over but, the years. But, but mark my words, understand that the conclusion, just like the conclusion to get to E equals MC squared, right? Uh, there's a whole bunch of math that, that led to E equals MC squared, but we acknowledge that E equals MC squared. God provides us freedom, and only God provides us freedom. When you know that, that's, then you realize that that is your mission, to amplify freedom and to reach out to God as much as possible and to seek out your purpose for the benefit of God. My friends, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you next week.